You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Uh, we're going to start off just by reading one verse this morning. One verse is kind of going to be the anchor for our entire Sunday morning journey. And it's in Matthew 28, and I'm pretty sure you're all familiar with this verse. And it says this, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now we're familiar with this passage because it's called the what? It's called the what? Great Commission. Okay, there's our Sunday school lesson. It's called the Great Commission. Now what we need to realize about this passage is this is just math. This is just Bible math. This is just multiplication. Jesus says, listen, y'all are 12, and I'd like more than 12. Would you go multiply yourself? (laughs) Would you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, multiply and so Jesus is talking about this divine math that he does, that he takes 12 people and makes them more than 12 people because they share their faith. They share what they know about Jesus, and suddenly we have more people than 12. And Jesus talks a lot about fruit in the Bible, right? He talks about good fruit and bad fruit. He talks about believers producing fruit. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what fruit is? Instead of base definition, something you buy at the grocery store and eat, right? Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's the basic cultural definition of fruit. Something tastier than a vegetable, okay? <laughs> We're just being honest here. Fruit is tastier than vegetable for the most part. But the actual scientific definition of fruit is something that contains seeds so that it can reproduce. That's the definition of fruit. Um, seedless fruit is something we've genetically made. It's not supposed to be that way. Fruit is supposed to have seeds. Fruit is supposed to reproduce itself. So when we have seedless fruit, easier for us, uh, but it's not the way it was designed to be. Fruit contains seed so that it can produce more. It can produce an increase. Um, Examples of this. Apples have seeds, right? Seeds make more apple trees. Apple trees make more fruit. More fruit is more apple seeds, so forth and so on. There's a multiplication there that happens, okay? Uh, what, if we, what if we look at it this way? How many seeds are in a pumpkin? Vegetable, not fruit, but work with me. How many seeds are in a pumpkin? <laughs> Anybody know? <clears throat> a lot. Roughly 500, give or take. Um, and, and thank you to those who have counted in the past pumpkin seeds. Roughly 500. One pumpkin can multiply into 500 pumpkins. Each of those 500 pumpkins multiplied by 500 more pumpkins. I don't do math like that, but if you have a calculator, that's a lot of pumpkins, okay? Uh, And we're thankful for that come October because we like pumpkin, pumpkin pie, pumpkin bread, pumpkin muffins, these kinds of things. Um, Pumpkins multiply. Uh, They have seeds in them, and seeds bear fruit, right? So that's what we're going to look at today, but in terms of our own life, in terms of what God has called us to do, because he says, go make disciples of all the nations. He's saying, listen, y'all are fruit. Y'all need to go plant some seeds. Y'all need to make sure that seed gets cultivated and more fruit is grown. This is what Jesus is saying. He's just talking cultivation and multiplication here. So we're going to look at what multiplication looks like in the life of an individual believer. And then we're going to take a look at what it looks like in the life of a church. 
because they might be very similar and it might be a very important lesson for us to learn. The first thing that we need to know is that healthy believers multiply themselves. Believers that are not growing in the Lord are not multiplying in the Lord. And believers that are not multiplying in the Lord likewise are not growing in the Lord. It's this cycle. If you're not growing in the Lord, you're not walking close to His desires for you, meaning you're probably not sharing the gospel with the people you encounter. And if you're not sharing the gospel with the people that you encounter, you're not growing more disciples, which is not fulfilling the great commission that Jesus has given us. Sharing Christ, inviting people to church, um, doing ministry are signs that a believer is healthy and rooted deeply in Christ and Christ's mission, which is to make more disciples. A believer that is not rooted in Christ will struggle to mature and will miss out on the blessings of living a life full in obedience to the Spirit. Um, so we're going to start with an image of a tree. Ah, beautiful tree, right? You know, um, The first thing that we need to recognize is that our, our walk with Christ is like that of a tree. Like that of an apple tree, if you will. Um, and then we have something called the gospel. Here's the basic gospel message. There are only two options for humanity. When you're born into humanity and you have it because you're alive, there are two options for the outcome of your life. You can have life or you can have death. You can live according to the Spirit of God, or you can live according to the flesh of your nature. Uh, there's life. God created life. In the very beginning, he said, let there be life, and life sprung up all over the earth. God designed that humanity, man, Adam and Eve, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, when he created Adam, what did he do? He breathed his spirit into Adam. He filled Adam with the Spirit of God. From the very creation of mankind, God designed you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He designed you to have the fullness of God living inside of you. But, um, in Genesis 2, we find out that there's death. Sin entered the world. Mankind, Adam and Eve, traded the Spirit of God for the flesh of God. They said, listen, we know what's best for our life, and God doesn't. We're going to make a great swap. We're going to live according to the flesh from here on out. But ultimately, the flesh led to death. It led to a separation from God for all eternity, for all mankind, Adam and Eve. So now we live rooted in human desire instead of rooted in the desire of God's holy calling for our life. But the hope of the gospel is this, that Christ died for you while you were still dead in your sins. It says that in uh, Romans 5, 8, God showed his love for you. In that while you were actively sinning against him, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to take all the punishment away from you, so that when God looks at you, he sees the blamelessness of Jesus Christ. In John 15 it says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken over you. That's the hope we have in the gospel. We might have lived in the flesh, but Christ died so that we could have life. That's the gospel. And that is where a believer's life takes root in the tree of faith. Okay, so you were following the analogy. You have life. But once you get saved, once you believe that Jesus died for your sins, covers you with his blood, you are now called a Christian. Culturally, this is what we call you. And you are beginning your foundation. You're beginning to grow in the Lord, right? This is, you know, you're taking root. You're learning to trust God. You're learning to lean on His strength instead of your own. And it's a battle when you're a new believer. 
to, to how do I, what do I do, what does God want me to do? I have old habits, I'm not sure what this is going to look like in my new life. More than likely, you have attitudes and behaviors that are not yet Christ-like because you're learning to bring all things in submission to Christ. And in First Peter 2, it says this, Put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all evil and all slander and envy. And like newborn infants, long for that spiritual milk that's pure, so that by it you may grow up into the Lord. So it's this idea that when you first receive Christ through you, you don't know much about the Christian walk. You're growing, you're learning. You're setting your roots in Christ, but you're still a little sapling, okay? But as you grow in these foundations, you start to attain maturity in the life of a believer. Hebrews 6.1 says this, Let's leave our elementary doctrine of Christ, which would be the spiritual milk, and move on to something like the meat and potatoes of faith. How does this really play out? What do I really do as a Christian? You're active in your faith. You love God. You live in community with other believers. You're no longer desiring isolation. You're desiring community with people. You serve the church and the city. You might even be looked up to by those new believers who say, Wow, they didn't really get it. I want to be like them when I grow up in my faith. You might still have some attitudes and behaviors that are not like Christ, but you're really working to bring those things into submission. You're quick to repent of your sin because you know that God would desire you to do so. And it says this in Ephesians 4, God gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ so that we wouldn't be like children tossed about by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but that speaking the truth in love, we are growing up into Christ, who is the head of the church. Christ is the one who grows us up into maturity, and when we lean on him, we move from foundational faith to mature faith. And after mature faith, there's something else, something called sanctification, something that we believe is a second work of the Holy Spirit. You get saved, and the Holy Spirit works in your life. And then, sanctification in the life of a believer is like a blossom, like a beautiful flower, the second work when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, listen, now you are really maturing. Now you desire more spirit than you desire flesh. The sins which you once struggled with, man, it is easy to put aside because God is so alive in you. You desire Him so much that those other things just pale in comparison. When you're at crossroads and you say, sin or not sin, more often than not, you are able to say, not sin. I'm God more than anything else. More valuable to me is God and His Holy Spirit than what this sin has to offer me. And the Holy Spirit comes and does that work in the life of a believer. It's about choosing holy living instead of sinful living. And that means that all aspects of your life are entrusted to God. It doesn't mean that you live perfectly 100% of the time, but it does mean that God is so alive in you that you want Him more than anything else in the entire world could offer. And Scripture says this, May God himself, the God of peace, the God who created the entire world, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that sanctification is not something that you do to yourself. Sanctification is something that as you spend time in the Word and as you are living in community with believers, and as you are submitting yourself to God and learning what it means to be a mature Christian, God says, yeah, this is time. This believer is going to blossom in a way that they could never imagine. And God does something awesome in your life. And that's called sanctification. And it's a beautiful thing.
And a believer who is mature in and sanctified is full of the gospel seed. This is something that God puts in you. That passion because you love God more than you love anything else. That passion because you desire holiness and God's will for your life more than you desire popularity or um, staying away from uncomfortable social situations. This is what happens. You leverage every opportunity for loving people in the name of Christ. It doesn't matter what opportunity comes your way. A trial, um, you're standing in line and you're cranky because the grocery line is too long. You're going to leverage that opportunity for the gospel. You're standing next to someone who needs to hear about Jesus Christ. A believer who is maturing and loves God more than they love themselves is going to say, I love people more than I love myself. So I'm going to leverage every opportunity I can to share the gospel with someone. This believer is also enduring faithfully no matter what comes their way. And this believer will plant seeds everywhere, every chance, every day. This is really important. This is the fruit. This is when a believer starts to multiply themselves. Then it says this in John 15, 4, Remain in me and I in you, Jesus says. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, just because you're a maturing believer, don't think you can step outside me and do something in my name. I am the one who causes fruit, but I'm going to work through you to make that happen. And he continues, this is to my Father's glory. Bring glory to God by bearing much fruit. Then you will prove yourselves to be my disciples. So Christians, I need you to hear this. What brings glory to God in your life and walk as a believer? Bearing much fruit. Bearing much fruit in your personal walk with Christ brings glory to God and shows the fact that you are a disciple. This is important to God because he says so very clearly. The Christians hear this. You need to leverage every opportunity to share the gospel with the world. But it doesn't stop there. Right? We can't just go about casually throw seeds out there and expect something to happen. There has to be discipleship in this process. Mature and sanctified and sharing is not enough. Seeds planted need water. Seeds planted need encouragement. Seeds planted need prayer. Seeds planted need stronger Christians to come alongside of them and say, I can see you're new and you're struggling. Let me grab you by the collar and help you. Let me help you learn what it means to live life in the Christian worldview. The mature, sanctified group of believers want to intentionally, intentionally seeks out Christians who are younger in the faith or non-believers who need Jesus and pulls them along towards Christ. And this believer is willingly enduring persecution, willingly enduring awkward conversations and social situations, willingly lives in the world, but not of the world. The distinction is there. You need to go get your feet messy, Christian. You need to go into the world and into the bars and into everywhere you can go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you do not need to partake in the sinful things of the world. But you need to be in the sinful world. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, So, all of this is done so that those seeds that are planted will take root and have life. This is the cycle of the Christian life, right? You get saved, you grow in the Lord, you get discipled, you suddenly understand that there's something bigger than you going on in this universe. And it's about the glory of God being made known across the entire earth. And the only way that happens is if we, as individual believers, 
take our part in maturing and planting seeds and maturing those planted seeds in the Lord. That is how growth occurs in believers. But you know, there's also something else that growth occurs in because healthy believers grow. And here's the big picture. Life and growth and maturity and sanctification. You plant fruit, you grow the fruit so that fruit may have life. The church looks awful similar. The church as a whole, made up of a bunch of believers, has a lot of the same patterns. The church should be multiplying. A healthy church multiplies itself. Churches that do not multiply are not growing. That makes common sense, right? If you're not adding people to your church, you're not growing. A church that is not growing is not multiplying. A church that is not healthy is doing neither. Growth is a sign that a church is healthy. It's rooted in the fact that Christ said we should do it. Um, we should intentionally make disciples. A church that is not growing cannot multiply because it's rooted in fear rather than the God that we love. It's rooted in tradition rather than in the movement of the Spirit. It's rooted in immaturity of faith rather than the power that God gives us in the Holy Spirit. And so we need to look at this a little closer, right? In the beginning... Not as far back as Genesis, but um, in the beginning of the church, um, we see that uh, God gave life and death to mankind. Um, we know this from the gospel. That there are two places that people can go. And as Christians, we know and believe this. And we are partakers in life. But there are 7,000 in this city, right, that are partakers in death, to the best of our knowledge. We as a church partake in the life of Jesus Christ. We as a city don't, as a whole, partake in the life of Christ. But Christ is the head of the church. He is our head. He is the smarts, the brains, that everything that goes on in the church. He is our leader. He is our pastor. Did you know that? Did you know that I'm not really the pastor? <laughs> Can I be honest with you? I'm just the guy that talks to you on Sunday morning. Okay? I am what's called an under-shepherd. I am under Jesus Christ, who is the pastor of this church. I am just the one that listens to God and tries to say what he wants to, to say to you on a Sunday morning. But I am not the pastor. Jesus is the pastor of this church and of all churches. He is the head. He is the one who died so that the church, global, could have life. He is the one that died so that we could have life everlasting. Ephesians 1 says this, And God put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be head over the church and over all things meaning everything in this world, the church and not the church, the saved and not the saved, everything is under Jesus' authority. He is the head. And as Christians, we believe that he's the head of the church. He's our pastor. And he gave the church a great commission. He said, listen, the torch is going to pass now. I walk the earth. I made disciples. I am the head of the church. Now I'm going to go away. And right, he said this, as you are going about life, make disciples. Teach them what I told you. Teach them to obey and baptize them, and I will help you. Then what's important in the Great Commission is not the go part. Everyone puts emphasis on go. In the original language, that's not the word that takes the emphasis. In the original language, go is not important. In the original language, make is important. In the original language, it should probably be read like this. As you're going about your daily life, make disciples. <laughs> There's not... Go! As you're going about whatever you normally do, the grocery store, the gas station, the school, to work, so forth and so on, make disciples! This is what
what you should be doing wherever you go, whatever you do, make disciples. That's what Jesus wants the church to know. Because Jesus was going to go to heaven, but he is still the trunk, he is still the weight bearing portion of the church. He is the head, he gives it the stability, he tells it what direction to grow, he is the one by which we are all grafted into. He is the strength of the church, he gives us that commission that he will help us if we are rooted in him to make disciples. And so the church received power. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Don't have to go into too much detail here. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, in the early days of the church, the disciples were obedient. They waited for the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said. Then, ooh, like Jesus said, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And due to that Holy Spirit, those first few disciples demonstrated an unconstrained, unhindered, and very contagious love for Jesus. Suddenly, in one day, in one afternoon, the church went from about 120 people to about 3,120 people. The power of the Holy Spirit was amazing, and the church multiplied in this way that we can't even begin to understand. What would happen if in four hours this church was running 3,000? It's not impossible. Jesus can do those things. Jesus wants those things to happen. Okay? In the life of the church, that's what he's aiming for. But it gets even better than that, because... When believers individually are empowered by the Holy Spirit because they love Jesus more than anything else, and they gather together as a church, and as a church they are empowered more by the Holy Spirit than anything else, suddenly bold ministry is happening. It's just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It can't help but happen in the life of a church if believers are devoting themselves to God. And here's what Scripture says they do. Just a few things. This is not programs. This is what God wants us to do. Spend time daily in God's Word. Spend time daily in fellowship with other believers. Spend time daily in the Lord's Supper. Spend time daily in prayer. Spend time daily in selfish ministry. Spend time daily in worship. These don't look like programs to me. These look like attitudes and passions of a Christian heart. These are things that are to be habits of someone who walks with the Lord and habits of a church that we gather together. So the disciples, they went into the streets of the cities they lived in. They went into the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues of the cities that they lived in. They preached Jesus to the Jewish folks. They went into the temples of the false gods. They went into the temples where they worshipped through cult prostitution. They went into temples where they worshipped through sacrifice of people. And they went into these temples and they said, Whoa, 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 there's a better way. Let me tell you about Jesus. They went into the shipyards. Yeah, they had shipyards back then in that day. They went into shipyards to tell of Jesus. And they went into shipyards and temples and synagogues to minister in the name of Jesus. Was that difficult for the disciples? Well, yeah, because some of those social situations are very awkward. Did they face persecution? Yes. The body of Christ grew from roughly 3,120 to roughly 10,000 through this process. This is the growth model that the book of Acts tells us. You know, it's, um, it's an important model because Jesus still wants us to live like this. The growth of the church didn't stop in Acts. It's not something we can look back on and go, that was great for that day and age. But that doesn't apply for today. Well, it does apply for today. Jesus didn't say the church is going to stop growing. The Great Commission stops at a certain point in history. The Great Commission still goes forward until every knee and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven. And so this still applies for today. But back in the day, 3,000 to 10,000, what if tomorrow we were 10,000? Wow. We would need some new structure, right? 
Like, there would have to be more parking. I don't even know. <laughs> there would have to be more ministry leaders. We would have to have more under-pastors, under-shepherds. We would have to have, uh, I don't know what that would look like. They had to restructure. Where did they park camels? <laughs> who cleaned the, the porta potties? Okay, it was just a tree back then. I don't know how it worked, but whoever was responsible for that ministry, God bless them. When they threw that bay, they had to change their structure a little bit in order to go bigger. They had to go smaller. Fruitful ministry. When the body of Christ became too large to meet in one place, they got small. They met in homes across the city. They met in homes across the nation. This is vital. This is how God put into the DNA of the church to grow. You can't all come to one place at one time. You must be in small groups. So letters were circulated between home churches and city churches so that all could read the Word of God. Did you know that in the New Testament, in Romans 16 and Corinthians 1 and uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and Acts 18 and Philemon 2 and Colossians 4, all these Bible verses, they all tell of stories of home churches that were not run by Peter or Paul or any of the other apostles. They were run like Phoebe, Gaius, Priscilla, and Fula. All of these folks in the Bible who got saved by hearing the gospel preached and they said, hey, that is a great message. I'm going to start a church in my house. Did they get permission? Did they fill out a form? Did they say, I don't want funding for that? Did they go, I don't know where we're going to park? Did they go, I'm not sure who's going to come to my church? No, they just said, Jesus is great. Jesus wants me to share the gospel. I'm going to start a church. That sounds like a great idea. Well, do you want to know what? Some of those house churches became some of the first mega churches of the early Christian church. Some of those house churches became some of the first 10,000, 15,000 member churches. But they didn't gather in a huge sanctuary. They gathered in multiple sites all over the city. Some of them under the cover of darkness. Some of them boldly during day. But in order to go bigger, the church had to go smaller because needs of people needed to be met. It's very hard to meet needs in a massive body sometimes because you don't know about them. But when you're 12 people, man, you can know what's going on in the life of those 12 people and you can meet needs imminently and quickly through prayer and tangible ways. To go big, you have to go small. That's Jesus' plan. House churches did ministry together in their local community. Priscilla and Nicole and all these people, they didn't just do church in their own home. They're like, hey, this is so great. Let's go out. Let's do ministry. Let's meet people's needs. Let's be the poor. Let's take care of the orphans. Let's do whatever we need to do in our community, in our neighbors' lives, so that they can know about Jesus and start their own church and do the same thing. That's how God designed churches to grow. The ministry back then was fruitful. So house churches multiply them more house churches. We multiply them more house churches. It's like the pumpkin with the 500 seeds. Plant more pumpkins, and each of those have 500 seeds. And suddenly, if you go down through history, the church grew from 10,000 to where it is today. That's a lot and a lot and a lot of churches. But it's not enough churches to reach the entire world. There are places in this world that do not have churches. And I'm not talking about churches that look like this. I'm even talking about Bible studies in people's homes. There are places in the world where the gospel does not get gone. And the gospel needs to go to those places. And the only way we do that is to be a missionary and go somewhere. And not stay there and be like, this is how you do American church in somewhere else in South America. We find someone who is organic to that community and we say, let me tell you about Jesus. And when they catch Jesus, man, they're going to plant the church that Jesus wants to be planted. And it might look really different than here. It might involve drums or jumping, as we learned at Faith Promise. It might involve dancing. It might, I don't know what other churches do in other nations. 
but they do it authentically, like God created them to worship every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But in order to grow the church, Jesus knew the DNA of the church had to go small. It had to be in small groups. The church grew from 10,000 to where it is today. The healthy church, local church, global church, house church, or city church, the healthy church multiplies. It's what the healthy church does. Likewise, the healthy believer multiplies. The church takes its burden from Christ because Christ is the head, right? So what the head thinks, the rest of the body does. And Christ thinks multiplication, and so the body should act on multiplication. It takes the burden from Christ for reaching the lost. And this burden, when acted on in the Holy Spirit, will cause an increase and will necessitate the planting of churches. If we are doing as Christ asks us to do in our personal life and the life of this local body, it will necessitate us having multiple services. It will necessitate us having 10, 15, 20 small groups that meet in people's homes. It will necessitate us having a daughter church in Saxon or a daughter church in Metlakatla or a daughter church somewhere else across the nation that we support and encourage and take mission trips to. This is what the body of Christ is designed to do. Church plants, though, are not just four walls, right? It could be a Bible study at your work during lunchtime. Church plants. People who've never come to church before might be able to go to that. You're planting a little church. Don't think fancy, formal, crazy church. Just think sharing Jesus with people and gathering a few. Where two or more gathered in my name, there's a church, right? Okay? Um, they could be Bible studies at work, they could be house churches, they could be just about anything. Church plants need tending, though. They need tending by healthy churches so they will embrace life and repeat the cycle, which is why we have small groups and they're overseen by the large church. We have leaders who we talk with and we encourage, and as we grow, we'll have more leaders and our structure will build to accommodate more small groups. We want every single member, Ketch a Can Church of the Nazarene, to be active in a small group. Not just me wanting that, that's Jesus wanting that, okay? This is the pastor talking to you, not me. But every member needs to be in a small group. Every member needs to be in a small group. Because every member needs to be in a small group. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Because when you plant churches, or when you don't plant churches, there's death. This is a fact of life. If you're not growing, you're dying. Church life is on a bell curve. You've all seen the bell curve in math class, right? And you forgot it because you didn't like math. But remember that little bell curve. Churches take off when they start leading souls. And eventually they're going to reach a plateau. Do you want to know why? Specifically why churches reach a plateau? Their sanctuary size can't accommodate any more people. They're comfortable with the fellowship they have here on Sunday morning. They don't want to lose the intimacy they have with their believers on Sunday morning. So they stop sharing the gospel. They stop inviting people. They stop witnessing. They stop winning souls in the name of Jesus Christ. And then people stop right? when the church dies. Either people get older or people move on. But they want a church that's alive and active, not a church that's stagnant. A church that does not multiply is one that does not fulfill Christ's commission. If there's no evangelism and no intentional discipleship and no outward ministry, there is no church. It's not what Jesus has designed for the body of Christ to be doing. However, Christ is the head of the church and he tells us one thing. Go and make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. And Christ died so that the church could have life. Living churches plant and grow living churches. 
This is the cycle of growth. This is the cycle of multiplication that God has designed for the believer and for the church. Just announce it to you. Okay? You were planted at one point. You grew, and now you're here. And now, now what? Okay, now what? Now that we know what the Word says about the life of a believer, and now that we know what the Word says about the life of a church, there is a question. Knowing where you are in the tree is important. As a believer in Jesus Christ, or maybe not this morning, where are you in the tree? Are you in the life or are you in the death? If you're in death, you have a decision you need to make this morning. The gospel truth is that you are steeped in sin and nothing you do is pleasing to God. Everything you do is sinful. Even if you try and do good, it's still sinful. But God loves you and even while you're sinning, Christ died for you so that you can have eternal life so that you can have hope and joy and peace and eternal life with Christ. No matter what this world throws at you, you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And if you need to know Jesus this morning, you need to know Jesus this morning. Jesus already knows you. And he wants you to come and receive and be filled with life eternal joy that is everlasting. That's your choice to make this morning if you are under the death category. But if you are under the life category, you fall somewhere in that, that tree. You are either growing or you're maturing. Maybe you've been sanctified, but maybe you're not planting fruit. Where are you in that? That's important for you to know this morning. Here's another question. Where is your family in this tree? Because your family is it's a small church. Did you know that? Your family is a little church. It has the ability to reach other people for Jesus. You have the ability by your family dynamic in Christ to witness to people about what Christian household living is to look like. About how God designed a family to live in the midst of a broken world, but not of the broken world. You know what I mean? You are a church as a little family. How's your little church doing? The worst catch you can that. This church is local body. Where are we in the cycle as a church? Where are we and where do we need to grow? This is something that we need to think about and pray about. I know where God has us go it's to make more disciples. How we're going to do that, we need to pray about it as a church. And here's some possible solutions. To all of those questions, wherever you might be, here's what the word is Individual believers must love God, live in community, and lead others to do the same. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to love Him. Unashamedly, with our whole heart, soul, mind, body, every fiber that's in us, He wants us to love Him more than anybody else. And then He wants us to live in community with other believers, encouraging one another. But He also wants us to live in the community that doesn't know Him. And when we're living in a community that doesn't know Him, we lead those people to love God and to live in community with other believers. This is what God wants the believer to do. And it looks like this. Have a prayer life. Oh, please have a prayer life, Jesus says. Please talk to Jesus about anything and everything. And if you want to yell at Jesus, great. He's big enough. He can handle that. If you want to cry to Jesus, great. He can handle that. You know, I used to tell my youth group, you need to swear at Jesus because that's how your life is going. Yeah, he's big enough. He can handle that. Just be real with who you are and where you are with Jesus. That's what he wants. Spend time in the Word. Learn what God would say to you. Go to Sunday morning, but don't make Sunday morning your only Christian experience. It is not about Sunday morning. 
Sunday morning is when we get encouraged, like a little shot in the arm, when we praise God for what He's done and what He will do. But our life happens outside of these four walls. Our Christian life happens outside these walls. In our home groups, when we encourage one another in the Lord, mutually pray for one another's needs, when we meet needs, but it also happens in the world. So don't just make Sunday, and don't just make Sunday a small group. You need to go live it, not just receive it. And you need to intentionally leverage every situation for Jesus. This is what our some possible solutions are for your life. Now the church looks pretty similar. The church must love God as a whole. We must love God more than anything in the entire world. We must love God more than we love our own comfort. We must love God more than we love our carpet color, more than we love our programs, more than we love our budget and how we think it should be allocated. We must love God more than anything so that we always do what he wants us to do. We must live in community, together, in unity, upholding the bonds of unity through the Holy Spirit. We must always seek forgiveness from one another. We must live in community with one another. We must also, as a church, live in the community we're playing today. We are in Ketchikan, in this portion of Ketchikan, for a reason. To reach the people in our little vicinity of Ketchikan. We must live in this community as well, because we must lead others in this community to love God and to live in community with Christian believers. This is what we are to do as a church, and it looks like this. Small groups are intentional community time. Live in community with one another. 10, 12, 15 people. Not much bigger than that because you lose some intimacy there. Small groups pray together, study together, serve together, meet needs together. Small groups will multiply if they are doing what Jesus asks. As you go about and invite your co-workers and so forth and so on, you invite your friends, your small group will grow. And therefore, your small group will multiply. And then, if small groups multiply, the church will multiply. That's God's DNA structure in the book of Acts. How churches should grow. So, you know where you are on the tree, maybe. You know where our church is, or you think it is, on the tree. Here's this. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit will remain. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Yoda would say this. <clears throat> Yoda? Do or do not, there is no trouble. Okay. Do or do not. Scripture would say, don't be, don't be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Cold had a purpose. You know, cold was great for drinking water. Hot was great for washing and sanitization. Lukewarm, no purpose whatsoever. Do or do not. There is no try. Make disciples. Make a choice to make disciples. This morning we're going to take communion together, and we're running a little bit over time, but that's okay because this is important. We're going to take communion together, and as we take communion, I want you to think about this, that we would covenant together to be a body of maturing believers, striving for Christ-likeness and leveraging every opportunity for Christ. Let's covenant together to pray daily our families, and our church, and our city. Let's covenant together to seek God's will for this church, not our own agenda for this church. Let's covenant together to, with the help of God's Holy Spirit, multiply ourselves for the sake of the 7,000 and the glory of God's name in Ketchikan. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the Lord's Supper now. And I think that this is a good time for maybe if you want to come up and to lead us in song. We're going to do this slightly differently than normal.
I'm going to stand up here and hold the elements. Y'all are just going to come up, partake. Um, and then, if you will hold the elements, you will take it together as one body of believers before one God with one purpose in this community and in our lives. And we will celebrate. So, so then it's going to play in just a moment. Um, and as the music is playing, we will come and receive. And then we will partake together and rejoice and celebrate for what God will do in our lives and in our community. And I would say this. Um, scripture makes a strong statement to taking the Lord's Supper if you are not yet a believer in Christ. It says if you come and take the elements and have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ to keep judgment on your head. And I do not want you to keep judgment on your head this morning. If you do not know Christ, don't, don't worry about taking communion. But if you want to know Christ, don't let that stop you. Come forward and let taking of the elements be your first step of faith where you would say, I don't know what this means for my life. I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm a pretty dirty sinner and I don't know if you want me. But I will take the first step of faith this morning. And let this be your first step of faith as you come forward with one body. We want to rejoice with you in that. So, um, we're just going to come. Um, we are going to see Jesus lifted high. We believe he's already lifted high and exalted. And because we believe that, we do what he says. So go from here and plant churches, okay? Do it wherever you want to do it. Plant some seeds and grow them in the name of Jesus Christ. We will bless that beyond measure. Go in peace. Thanks, Pastor.